We're in Romans 14, so please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. This passage gives us a really clear and really important teaching, but I think a lot of believers don't realize this. Like this, this is about convictions. This is about how to handle it when you feel like something's wrong and another believer feels like it's not wrong. And then how do you deal with this issue? So the Bible's very clear on how we deal with the issue but Christians aren't very clear on how we deal with the issue. So I'm excited to share this with you tonight because I think Romans 14 is a very under-applied passage of the Bible. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk very plainly about some tough issues. So I'm just going to put them right out in front of you because I know you're mature enough and intelligent enough to handle thinking about these things. Um, so I want you to think about it first like this. What are your convictions on the issues of, first, alcohol, personal conviction? I'm just asking about your personal conviction. Just think about it yourself. How do you feel about alcohol? Is alcohol inherently sinful? Is it, or is it like, no, 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 you can, you can drink and that's okay. Um, what is your conviction on the Sabbath? Do you have to worship and, and go to church and attend services on the Sabbath, which, which would be Saturday? Or perhaps you think the Sabbath has been changed and it's Sunday, but you feel like you have to worship on that day. Or do you think it doesn't matter? What are your convictions on that? What are your convictions on television? on Netflix, on watching, you know, YouTube videos or something like that. What are your convictions on those things? Do you feel like, no, no, that's wrong or it's wrong under these conditions? These are, this is a convictions issue. How about tattoos? Do you feel that tattoos are inherently sinful? Tattoos are occasionally sinful? Do you feel they're, they're never sinful? Like, what is your convictions? Um, how about how pastors dress in a pulpit? If I was wearing flip-flops and a Hawaiian shirt, would that offend you? Or would you be like, cool, you know, how... What are your convictions on those issues? Or should I be wearing a robe and like a special collar? Is that like important? Um, how about how much sarcasm is appropriate in life? What are your convictions about sarcasm? Is sarcasm always wrong? Is sarcasm sometimes wrong? Like in, under what conditions? So you see what I'm trying to do is just say, look, that's what convictions are. Convictions are how we deal with those issues where some people are like, no, no, this is black and white. This is someone else goes, no, 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 you're, you're wrong. You're not seeing it clearly. There's more complexity to this issue. And we don't all agree. And this can cause division in the church. And that's the main focus of Romans 14. Spoiler alert. It's about don't divide on these issues. That's the main point in Romans 14. Don't divide on these issues. So we're going to talk about the issues, go through Romans 14, and then we're going to get six conclusions about convictions that I think I'll try to bring in at the end of the study to try to go, yes, this is how we should think about these issues. And hopefully we can get it into our bones because we need it there because division is caused on these issues all the time, all the time. <clears throat> so the thought process of, of Romans, it's good to think of the thought process as you read through the Bible. And as we approach Romans 14, the thought process is Romans 12 is all this application stuff of how to live the Christian life. And then Romans 13 continues instructions and applications about living the Christian life, submitting to government. It ends with this idea of fully put on the Lord Jesus, make no provision for the flesh, run after God with all you have, like totally committed with all of, all of yourself following Jesus. And the next thing is, and about those convictions of yours. It's just, it so perfectly flows because the second someone goes, I am all for Christ, my whole life is for Jesus. They start going, that means I don't want this in my life. I don't want that in my life. I don't want this in my life. And then they go about and they go, hey, that Christian has some of the stuff in their life that I don't want in my life. How do I handle this issue? So here we go. Um, Romans 14 verse 1, it says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes 
over doubtful things. Uh, let me start with what this does not mean. I'll explain this phrase, weak in the faith, disputes, doubtful things. But here's what it does not mean. It does not mean that Christians should ignore doctrinal differences. Doctrinal differences are not doubtful things, right? I know that there is a clear teachings about, especially the essentials of the Christian faith. Like you're, t- you're going to tell me we disagree about who Jesus is. That's a pretty big deal. We disagree about um, theology that's clearly taught in the scripture. This is not something we can disagree about and just be okay with. In some cases, in some cases it is, some cases it's not. But this is not really what it's about. This is not about doctrinal differences. In fact, Paul openly rebukes Peter over an issue related even to food, interestingly enough, in Galatians 2, it's recorded. He says, Peter came and before the Jews from Jerusalem came, Peter was there eating with the Gentiles, having a good time. But then the Jews came and Peter set himself aside and wouldn't even eat with the Gentiles. And then Paul says, because I saw his conduct was not true according to the gospel. He saw this wasn't really a food issue. This was a gospel issue. Then he rebuked him openly. But then in other teaching, he goes, but food schmood, food doesn't matter. Right? So the food isn't the issue. It's the gospel that's the issue. Whenever an issue approaches the gospel, it's an essential issue. And we should, we should fight over this issue. We should divide over this issue. We should disfellowship over that issue. It's, it's a sad thing, but it's basically you were Jesus and I picked Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's how it works. Um, so there's that, there's that balance there. So that, that's what it doesn't mean. It's not about doctrinal differences. Um, so let me, let me now explain what it is about. That phrase, weak in the faith, I, I was bothered when I found out what this meant and that it applied to me. <laughs> but in Romans 14.1, right, it says, receive one who is weak in the faith. That phrase, weak in the faith, normally I'd wait until we get there later in Romans 14, but I'm just going to tell you right now what it means. It means a believer who thinks something is wrong when it's not wrong. That's what it is. A believer whose convictions are more strict than is necessary. That's weak in the faith. That is exactly what it means. It doesn't mean they're not saved. It doesn't mean they don't believe in Jesus. No, no, they have faith. They're weak in the faith, meaning I'm a believer, but I, I still feel as though I think, let me, here's a, here's a weak believer. I think all alcohol is sinful. All alcohol is sinful. That, that's, I'm not insulting you because guess what? That's me. That's how I came into the faith. That, that was me as a young person. That's even today. I do not drink. And that's not because drinking is a sin. It's because of my convictions and I'm not going to violate those convictions. I don't care if you drink. Don't care at all. <laughs> it doesn't bother me one, one single bit. But I don't because of my convictions. Why? Because guess what I am in that area? Weak in the faith. So let's just, and, and I'd encourage anyone else hearing me, if, 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 you're, if you're weak in the faith, at least recognize what it is. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's just reality. That's just what it is. So <clears throat> the weak in the faith is, and three examples are given in Romans 14. It's related to meat, days, and drinking specifically alcohol he talks about. So meat, um, possibly meat sacrificed to idols or possibly kosher laws. The second one is days or do you observe feast days? Do you not observe feast days? Do you, do you observe the Sabbath? Do you not observe the Sabbath? That's an issue where a brother could be weak in the faith. And also drinking alcohol. You think all alcohol is wrong, you're weak in the faith in that area. That already is going to bother some people. And it bothered me to think, wow, this is me being weak in the faith. Like that, It took a while for me to to me to soak that in, <laughs> to realize that's me, but it is. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with you. You shouldn't even try to change. That's actually part of the teaching in Romans 14 here. You shouldn't even try to change that. So that's what weak in the faith means. But what is this phrase disputes over doubtful things? It means don't argue about those issues. 
Is it okay to eat the meat? Is it not okay to eat the meat? Is it okay to drink alcohol? Not okay. Do you have to worship on this day or that day? Can you observe Christmas or not? Can, do you have to worship on the Sabbath? Has the Sabbath really changed? These are things where the Bible's like, don't make it a thing. Believers, don't make it a thing. There's lots of things. This isn't one of them. Don't argue about it. You, you, you meet a weak believer who feels like they cannot, they have to go to church on the Sabbath or they feel like they're in sin. Guess what they should do? Go to church on the Sabbath and you shouldn't try to talk them out of it. Just let them do it. Enjoy their fellowship and don't make a thing about it. That's the implication. So the phrase doubtful things though, um, it doesn't, I don't know if doubtful things is the best translation. I'm not going to pretend I know more than those translators, but um, I don't know if it's the best because it doesn't mean that these things are doubtful. It's like, but wait, it's doubtful. Is drinking really a sin? Is it okay to worship on the Sabbath or not worship on the Sabbath? Is, what's the, it's not that it's doubtful. The, the scripture is pretty clear on this issue for us as Christians. When it says doubtful things, I think what it really is saying is that there's a difference of opinion. In fact, that word doubt, translated doubtful things can just mean opinions. It can be translated easily opinions. That's a fair translation of the word. And some translations do that with that word. So um, don't, res don't, uh, don't dispute with them over their opinions about these issues. There you go. So that's the main point. The main point is that <clears throat> the, the different convictions amongst us in, as believers will potentially cause division if we don't handle them properly. And Romans 14 helps us handle them properly. So let's look at verse 2. It says, For one believes he may eat all things, but he who's weak eats only vegetables. So we see the weak brother, they can only eat vegetables. Now you're like, you're weak because you eat vegetables. That's the real reason why you're weak. <laughs> and that may be true, but that's a, different, <laughs> that's a different kind of weak. The weak here is, maybe, okay, 2,000 years ago, it's entirely possible, since they're only eating vegetables, that either they would go to the market and they would think, um, oh, this food's not kosher, I'm not going to touch it, I'll only eat vegetables. But that's probably not it. Probably more likely it was all the meat in the market has been sacrificed to idols. And so I won't touch any of it. So this is the person who goes, my conscience is weak here. I feel like it's wrong. I feel like this meat's been sacrificed. I don't want to mess with it. I don't want to touch it. I'm only going to eat vegetables. Well, that's description of one kind of believer. Very cautious, much more strict in their life. And he who's weak only eats vegetables. The other person, he eats all things. He's like, me, you sacrificed the idols. I go, thank you, Jesus. You know, and they're like, the Lord redeems it. You know, and they just, and they just gobble it all down. Um, that's just describing the two different kinds of people. Now, imagine the tension this causes when they get together and they go to church and afterwards they're deciding where they're going to go out to eat afterwards. And one person's like, you're going to the market? There's meat sacrificed to idols. And the other one's like, oh, brother, you don't understand your liberty in Christ. What I don't understand my liberty. You don't understand your sanctity. You know, and they start arguing with each other, and then they become divided. And all of a sudden, after church, you have two different kinds of people: the meat eaters and the not meat eaters. And they don't fellowship with each other anymore because they're divisive and divided on these issues. And that's what Romans 14 is trying to avoid. We create circles of people who have our convictions, and we spend our time with them. And when someone comes into our circle that has stricter convictions than us, we try to find a way for them to get out of our circle. Because you're cramping our style, buddy. And so it, it creates division, and it's not walking in love. So it's funny how this issue was 2,000 years ago, but it's totally relevant today. We live in America, we live in, and we're in California, and we're part of the Calvary Chapel movement. And the Calvary Chapel movement has leaned towards being a, a don't drink alcohol, don't like alcohol, alcohol is a bad kind of movement. Probably because a lot of the Calvary Chapel people were former drug users. And so their conscience, rightly so, was like, I'm not even touching that stuff. But it's possible that somewhere down the line, 
the impression was that that should be everyone's conviction. Instead of thinking, it's just good for you, you're weak in the faith in this area, fine, I'm not going to mess with you, I'll love you, I'll receive you, but not putting on everyone else. <clears throat> so we have the same kind of issues. And after church, we have the people who drink and they fellowship together, and the people who don't drink and they fellowship together, and the two shall never meet. <laughs> and um, that's unfortunate. That's what Romans 14 wants to avoid, is a division over conviction. So let's keep reading. Verse 3, it says, Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. So there's the two issues. One is the person who's, who's um, not eating, he's gonna, his potential is to judge the other person who is eating. The person who's eating is to despise the one who's not. So let's take it to, say, drinking or Sabbath or one of the other issues that are brought up here. Say, I don't drink. My tendency would be to judge those that do. Oh, you're doing something wrong. That's not right because I feel, I feel like it's wrong. So it must be wrong for you too. Then the person who does drink looks down and they go, oh, Mike, he's, I despise him. I think lowly of him. What a weak Christian. Or I'm irritated with him because he's self-righteous. And so I despise you for that. That's the tendency. And it's like the, God knows exactly what we need, right? This is exactly what happens over and over again with these issues. Now, personally, I've grown a lot on these issues. And I hope that I can reflect what scripture really teaches on this stuff. And do it, it's, it's funny because I feel like I, I have credibility because I can be like, I don't drink and I'm preaching that you can't. That should make someone think. I'm not, this isn't like, well, Mike's just a drunkard. That's why. <laughs> <clears throat> no, no. We were cooking with one, one time, me and Alice, we were cooking with wine. Cooking, right? There's no alcohol in it when you cook it. I mean, if, if you hate alcohol, you should rejoice when you cook with wine because you destroy the alcohol. But she like, open this bottle. And I go to open the bottle and, and it splashes on me. And I was so like bothered and irritated by the alcohol just in the, the smell of it that I went and took a shower because it was, it bothered me so much. It was weird. I was like, Oh, and I've, some of you know the history of my life in the past since there's reasons why I feel that way. But, but I was like, well, I didn't even, I just reacted like from my gut like that. It was kind of weird. It wasn't a spiritual thing. It was just, that's, that's me. I am weak in that area. So I acknowledge that. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm not to judge those who have that liberty. I think secretly something's wrong with them. I know, I mean, okay, maybe Jesus drank, whatever. doesn't matter to me. I think something's secretly wrong with the person who is, who is enjoying alcohol in some sense. Something's probably wrong with it. They probably, they're probably over there getting drunk. And I'm judging them. And they're looking at me going like, goody two-shoes, you're better than everybody else. And they're despising me. And this is exactly what God's trying to avoid because it's, it's division being caused in the name of convictions. So here's how we should handle the issue. Um, <clears throat> it gives you in verse 3 the answer. It says, God has received him. Interesting. God has received him. The idea is, if God accepts and receives them, why don't you? Like, you have higher standards than God. Is that the idea? <laughs> is, it, is, it, is, it, is it like, God, for them to know you for eternity and be your friend and your loved one, it requires this, right? Jesus and, and yielding to Christ in their lives. And then for me, though, for me to love them and, and be my friend, and I require, you know, Jesus yielding to them. But also, I want them to share my convictions on alcohol and the movies I like to watch, and what words I think are appropriate and okay and not, and the type of humor I have, and what I think is fun to joke about. And, and all of a sudden, the list gets bigger and bigger, and we're just, we're just being sectarian. This is sectarian. This is worse than a denomination, because it's like a denomination within a denomination within a denomination. You know, it's just not good. So, verse 4. 
Who are you to judge another servant? Speaking, this is to the weak brother, right? Because they're the one that's likely to judge. Who are you to judge them? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. God can make him stand. When it comes to convictions, personal accountability is what matters. That's what verse 4 is talking about. It's between them and God. Now, if they're committing adultery on their spouse, is that an issue of personal convictions? No. You're in wicked, plain sin. But when they're doing something that really, truly is a Christian liberty issue, let it be between them and God. Just let it be between them and the Lord. Let's, um, let's look at verse 5. It says, One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. So here we're talking about like the Sabbath or about feasts or festivals or different things like that. One person, they think, I love the Sabbath. Oh, the Sabbath is a special day. I love this festival or feast or maybe today. I love Christmas or I love this day or that day or 4th of July or whatever it is. And they like that day. They, they give it special status. Another person, they think every day is identical. Every day is the same. I don't care. What's Christmas? That's the day after the day before Christmas. Like it's just another day. What's the Sabbath? Oh, I'm a Sabbath. Okay, so it is Saturday. I mean, just I'm just speaking in factuality. The Sabbath didn't move to Sunday. That's an interesting theory, but I, I don't think... Okay, when you really think about that, you're like, really? It moved? But <laughs> the Sabbath is Saturday, but the question is, for someone who says the Sabbath, that's the day you have to worship on, like, the other person goes, I don't care. I don't care what day it is. Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I don't care. That's, these are the two different categories of people. So what should they do? It says in verse 5, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. This is now. This is rare, because this is an area where the Bible actually tells us it's okay to disagree. Uh, the Bible will give a clear teaching, right? It doesn't matter what day you worship on. That's the clear teaching. But if you feel it does, go ahead. That's the clarity of the word we're getting here. Um, so, in conversation with people, if someone's like, "No, man, I really feel like you have to worship on the Sabbath," your encouragement should be, "Then you should worship when." On the Sabbath, that's what's best for you. This isn't relativism because the clarity of it being a liberty issue, that's what establishes it. So let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, observe the day means that they, they're doing something special on that particular day, observes it, excuse me, the, uh, he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat. And gives God thanks. God, I'm not partaking of this meat because I want to honor you with my life. I feel as though it was involved with sacrifice to idols. I feel as though it's morally wrong for what happens to animals. And so I'm a vegetarian. So I feel, Lord, I'm doing this unto you, God. And you're giving God glory and thanks. Good. I'm going to eat this meat and be like, God, you made meat. And meat is sweet and stick it in my belly and make me feel good. You know, And you eat it and you go, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this food. I don't care about sacrifice to idols because Jesus, you broke the powers of darkness and you eat it. Good for you. That's what, this is the area of Christian liberty where we really have liberty. <laughs> this is, that's what it means. It's liberty. So these two categories are to do their own thing. Now, what's interesting is I, I've, I've had some serious feedback online on my, one of, as far as from believers where I've had the most negative feedback has been my videos on Christmas. Where I have a video, is Christmas pagan? Now, in the video, I never say, you should celebrate Christmas. I ask the question, is it sinful? Is it pagan? And I try to answer the question. And I, I do a teaching that I think moves the, the topic of Christmas into the Christian liberty category. Make your decision, to present it how you want, and try to keep it away from secularism if possible kind of thing. 
Um, but I've had a lot of negative feedback because people are passionate about this. So if you're like, man, holidays are pagan, pagan, Easter is Ishtar is blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, you, you heard something once. You didn't really research it on your own probably, but fine. Then don't celebrate it. And unto the Lord, don't celebrate it. But this person over here, they're singing about Jesus being resurrected. They're inviting their friend to church so they could hear an evangelistic message on Easter. Like, that's between them and God. Okay? This person, they put up a Christmas tree in their home, and then they sit down and they tell their kids, uh, they read from Luke chapter 2 about the birth of Christ, and you're like, that's pagan. You're like, okay, let not him who is weak here in the faith judge the one who has liberty. Just don't, don't, don't go there. Don't go there. It's creating unnecessary division in the body of Christ. Isn't it interesting that God wrote about this 2,000 years ago and it's so relevant right now? It's like, it's like every time I come into the Bible, it's just, it's relevant. And I get bugged when people are like, well, the Bible's irrelevant, but, and they, and I'm like, stop teaching if that's what you think. Okay, so uh, what verse are we on? It's verse seven. Okay. Thank you. Um, oh, let me point out one more thing. In verse 5 and verse 6, it doesn't say that the issue was sacrifice to idols, and it doesn't say that the issue was the Sabbath. I'm assuming that based upon like 1 Corinthians and other passages in New Testament times. It makes it generic, and I think it's generic on purpose. Notice it's just observing the day. What day? Whatever the day is. If you're observing it unto the Lord, go ahead. Not observing the day. Which day? Which day am I not to? It doesn't matter. Whatever. Eating meat or eat or not eating. But for what reason? What, why were they eating the meat? No, the point is it's generic so you can apply it over the next 2,000 years into whatever situations you find yourselves. In verse 7, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. See, if you're doing it unto the Lord, you're living unto the Lord. That, and that's the point. We were just told to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And now live your life unto the Lord and that will look a little different in different people's lives. And that's okay. <laughs> that's, that's quite all right. We can celebrate that. I could go, you know what? That's between you and Jesus. Go for it. So none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. And then verse 8, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. This is, this is an authority thing. It's about personal Christian accountability between me and God. I live my life unto God. I have it within the, within the church. Sure, within the local church. I have a, I have a sense of accountability to the pastor. Sure, a sense of accountability to the pastor. I feel like a lot of people take it way too far, so I, I tend to, to push it down because study some cults and see how they treat authority. <laughs> um, but, but really, as a Christian, my ultimate accountability is straight to God. No mediator except Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm accountable to him, so that's the point here. You're living for God. Now, if you're not living for God, if you live for God in spurts, if you live for God while you're in service or when you're reading your Bible, then you're doing it wrong. Live, die, all I do is unto the Lord. That's obviously important. Then in verse uh, 9, For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So it's about the Lordship of Jesus. And I love this. This is a powerful theological statement. Jesus, he died and rose again. That's a powerful theological statement right there. But also, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. The lordship of Jesus transcends just this earthly realm and this, and this worldly lives. You know, this is, he's the Lord of all and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the lordship of Jesus. And I love how it's such a present reality for Paul. He just throws it in there in the middle of this whole discussion. But it's to help us zoom out and say, hey, the issue of your convictions and how you treat your convictions with other Christians and their convictions, this issue, it comes back to the lordship of Jesus. That's what it comes down to. 
you let Jesus be the Lord of your life and you let Jesus be the Lord of their life. Don't try to be the mediator between them and Jesus. That's the point. So, verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? Remember, these are two different people. The one judging is the weak brother. I can't do that, and it bothers me that you're doing it. I'm judging you for doing it. Then there's the strong one who sees the weak and has contempt. Like, you, you're less of a, of a person, less of a Christian. And that's not true. This is not true. The weak in the faith thing is not even a problem. It's just a description. <laughs> it's just a definition. That's just where you're at. It's not, a, it's not even something you have to change. This is carnal. Either of these things. If I judge the strong brother or if I condemn or con- have contempt for the weak, that is a carnal attitude. <clears throat> then it says, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's kind of sobering to think as a Christian, even though my sins are forgiven, there's still a day of reckoning that I will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it is a judgment for rewards. But if you're evaluating someone to see how many rewards you can give them, you're also going to note, in some sense, the ones they don't get. And so there's a sense in which I go, oh, Lord, I, I realize my sins are forgiven, but my life still matters and the things I do make a difference. And I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And if you're bothered because you think someone's doing something wrong and it kind of seems to fall even possibly into this realm of liberty, God's going to take care of it. Don't worry about it, okay? This between them and the Lord. You just try to have unity as much as possible. In verse 11, it says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. On a lot of issues, you just give it to God. Everything's, it's going to come back to God and you walk in love. It's a very sobering thought, but it's also just to put us in our place. I don't have to decide what your convictions should be. That's liberty. That, that's a wonderful thing for me. I don't even have to decide what your convictions should be. Even as a teacher, I teach the clarity of the word, but I don't tell you what your convictions have to be on all those issues. But in case that doesn't help, let me put it this way. You don't get to decide what other people's convictions should be. <laughs> Just in case you need to know that. Like, you don't even get to. You have no permission to be the Lord of their life. And that's sometimes where we step when we move into the realm of convictions. <clears throat> and I'll say this now. If you, don't, if you don't hear this whole teaching, it could easily be distorted. Okay, this is a teaching that could easily be taken and twisted to, to encourage people to sin. So let me get through the rest of it. Um, and hopefully uh, you'll, you'll hear it out. And then we'll get to our conclusions and it brings perfect balance. God brings perfect balance to the subject. Verse 14, he says, I'm sorry, 13, he says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this. Here's what you should do. Not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Instead of thinking, oh, I have problems with you in the way you are, you should think, how can I help you with the way you are? Totally different attitude. Totally different attitude. Not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall. The stumbling block or the cause to fall would be basically getting you to change your convictions or to violate your convictions based upon my encouragements. Come on, man. Jesus drank. Jesus drank. Have a drink. You know, (laughs) in your your dragon voice, um, in your Batman voice. (laughs) I'm Batman. Have a drink. (laughs) And you... And so if, if I tried if I tried to like come on Mike you know just Mike just come on just have some have some it's so good here it's it's nothing wrong with it man I, thank you Lord it's great man hey Mike and I'm tr- and what I'm doing is I'm putting a stumbling block in your way by trying to change your convictions on this issue 
And so like potentially will cause you to fall. And so that should be our resolution is to not cause others to fall. That is a specific exhortation to the strong, not the weak. In fact, the weak, pretty much their whole exhortation in Romans 14 is stop judging people. That's the whole exhortation. If you're weak in the faith, you're more strict in the areas of liberty. Stop judging people. That's the exhortation. For the strong, there's a lot more instruction. And it's right there. Don't put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in a brother's way. <clears throat> Let's read on. It'll explain it more. So, um, verse 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself. Answering the question, is alcohol inherently sinful? Is any, is any non-kosher food inherently wicked? Are any days of the week inherently unclean? Are any particular whatever time, you know, December 25th or whatever the day is, is it inherently somehow unclean or wicked? No. That I think answers the question. There's nothing unclean of itself. God made everything. It was good. It's the perversion of these things that makes them wrong. So this includes alcohol as well. Something, uh, when I first started really studying the Bible, I was like, I guess alcohol is not inherently sinful. <laughs> it was the first step in my path to getting biblical about the topic. So it's, so now you might be like bothered because I'm thinking this, right? If I'm not supposed to try to change someone's convictions, why am I up here telling you that alcohol is not sinful inherently? Because I'm not trying to change your convictions, but I'm trying to help you have a clear understanding of biblical truth. Paul here does this. He says, look, if you're weak, be weak. If you're strong, be strong. But just so you know, it is clean. <laughs> it's like, it's not unclean inherently. So it's good to bring the teaching, but not good to try to manipulate people into how they apply their convictions to that teaching. So um, one, ca one uh, a caution I really want to mention here. The only reason why alcohol um, tattoos, I think, would be are included. Maybe I'll do a study on this sometime. I, I think that tattoos are in the same area of liberty. Um, they're not inherently sinful. There could be purposes, reasons why you get it that make it sinful or whatever, but I don't think it's inherently sinful. But if it's sinful for you, guess what it is? Sinful for you. Don't violate your conscience. But the conscience, it can make clean things unclean for you, but not for everybody else. But it cannot make unclean things clean. And that is the thing I've seen people fall into. And you have to be pretty spiritually unaware to think that your adultery is okay because you don't feel bad. You have to be pretty spiritually unaware to think that your abuse of another person is okay because you don't feel bad about it. Or your pride is okay because you're okay with it. That's where the conscience is malfunctioning, right? But the conscience can't make sin okay, but it can make okay things into sin. That's this verse here. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. That's why I don't violate my conscience, even though I know alcohol is okay. But guess what? Not for me. I do feel a conviction about that. Right or wrong, I feel that conviction, and I will not violate that. <clears throat> And plus, some of you were like, good, I don't want my pastor to be someone who, <laughs> so good for you, yeah, good, that's great, I'm glad I can minister to you uh, with my weakness. <laughs> um, so, do you see why it's a stumbling block? If alcohol is wrong for the person who feels it's wrong, and I am enjoying this liberty, and causing them to be more likely to do it, I'm actually causing them to sin. Because for him, who it is unclean, guess what, it's actually unclean for them. So I don't want to push anyone's conscience to change. I just want them to observe and stay faithful to God in that issue without judging or despising. So that's why it's a stumbling block. So this is where I think, in all reality, a good application of this is, why, why would I post 
pictures of me enjoying margaritas and and shots and or whatever it is. I don't know. Now my own conscience is like it's weird to even talk about it, but but why would I post that stuff on social media where I know that everybody sees it and potentially my brother or sister who's weak is being stumbled by me? Does that make sense? There's certain liberty issues where you go, I know I have this liberty, but I don't want to have this liberty in your face where I'm stumbling you. That's a gracious love thing. That's what it is. I love you too much to do that to you. My my buddy here who is a former alcoholic who came to the Lord and cleaned up his life, what does he see when he sees me going, cheers, you know, on, uh, on Instagram or whatever? Like, what does that do to his heart? That's the question. That's the question. So it's, just, it's a wisdom and love issue. Um, that's what it is. So verse 15, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. See, it's not about food. It's about people. Gosh, if I'm, if I'm eating with a vegetarian and I feel like this is going to cause them some sort of harm for me to eat meat in front of them, what should I do? Eat veggies because you love them. Not because meat's wrong, because you love, I love you. So I, I'm not going to sit down and do something that's going to hurt your conscience. Now, for me personally, I could sit down with someone and if they ordered a drink and drank it, I don't think it would violate me. It wouldn't stumble me because I understand the clarity of the issue now through the scripture. I get it. But when I was younger, it would have. And so I appreciate the courtesy and the kindness someone would have to go, I'm not going to throw that in your face, Mike. I, I will, you have a weak conscience here. I'm just going to respect that. And that's a good thing. Because it's not about food. It's about people. It's about love. And the limit is placed on the strong brother, not the weak one. So those of you who feel more liberty, you're going you're gonna to give up that liberty in your encounters, regular, regular encounters with believers who don't have that liberty so that you can love them. So that's the limitation. See, the weak believers just told don't judge. The strong believers told to actually change their actions and their behavior to match that of the weak believer. <clears throat> Obviously, that can be distorted. Someone could be like, well, it bothers me when you do and give you like a laundry list of everything in your life that you do. That's obviously, I think wisdom would tell us that that's not the right application. But um, So verse 16, therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. That would be my liberty causing you to stumble. That liberty is great. It's great that you can enjoy that to the Lord. But it's spoken of as evil because it hurt my brother. I hurt, I hurt someone with my liberty. And that, that's unfortunate. It's swinging around my, my flag of liberty and I whacked him in the face with it. <laughs> Now, I can do this because I have that skill in life where I make food look good. <laughs> like, I'll eat food and people are like, I want to try what he's eating. <laughs> I do it to Allison all the time, right? I'll be eating something that's fish. She hates all seafood. And I'm like, eating something that's seafood. And she's like, can I try it? You make it look really good. <laughs> and and that, that's the thing is that when I see someone enjoying the thing I'm convicted about, I'm drawn to it. And so if I know of your conviction, try to have an act of love. I think you guys get it. Verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I could do a whole study on this righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, but I want to, I want to keep the main focus of the passage, <clears throat> which is this, that um, in the issue of convictions, I'm never using convictions to compromise righteousness. I'm never using liberty as an excuse for sin, and people do it all the time. I'm not covering that in this particular study. Um, if you're using liberty as an excuse for sin, I pray God would just convict you for it because it's like... You're spitting on the cross. Like he didn't die so that you could sin. Um, he died to set us free. So that's a different study though. Let's assume that we all have uh, hearts that are like, oh, no, I really want to obey the Lord. I'm not trying to get away with anything. I just want to follow God. I'm eating as unto the Lord in these areas. 
Um, so it's righteousness. It's peace as in unity, not only with, the God, with God, but with each other. Unity together. And that's the thing God's trying to preserve in Romans 14 is Christian fellowship. And joy. Joy is definitely robbed when we make um, convictions the biggest thing in the world for us. Everyone has to follow my convictions. I think gambling is wrong. And those people were deciding where to go to lunch. And I saw them and they flipped a coin to see where to go to lunch. And that's gambling. And that's wrong. And I'll be like, well, is that a clear teaching from scripture? Or is that your conviction? Well, I just... <laughs> it's, that's not scripture. I don't know any scripture that says gambling is a sin. I mean, hey, I'm down. I've seen lots of abusive gambling. I'm totally down with saying gambling is wicked and a sin. I just don't know of a scripture that teaches that. So I'm like, like, my convictions? Bible. Like, it's higher, you know? And I, I, don't, I don't dump that on everybody. Obviously, gambling can be a sin. You can do it as a sin. We've all seen plenty of that, I think. But is it inherently sinful? No. I mean, not in any sense that I can see. Uh, and if I'm wrong, someone rebuke me and show me. And I will, I will make another video about how gambling is sinful. I, I just want to submit to scripture. Right? I just want to let the Bible be the guide for my heart and my conscience and my life. Now, I hate casinos and don't even want to go in them. And I don't want to gamble. <laughs> but that's because I'm frugal and don't like throwing money away. Um, and they smell. <laughs> among other things. <laughs> so that, that's a different issue, right? But, um, but yeah. So, verse 18. For he who serves Christ in these things is, is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Man, it's a totally different heart. It talks about convictions in order to say, when it comes to convictions, don't focus on the rightness and wrongness of areas of liberty. Focus on the unity and edification of believers who have differing convictions. Agree to disagree. And be loving and gracious and kind and connected and not arguing about those issues. Um, serve Christ in this area. Pursuing peace is your job. It's not, it's not primarily my job, as far as you're concerned. And as far as I'm concerned, it's not primarily your job, it's mine. When we, when we own up, we own up to that pursue peace thing. I'm pursuing peace and edification and love to brothers. And it's like, man, this is, this is my full-time task with the Christian brother and sister is love, unity, peace, edification, encouragement, that that's my job, then, then, uh, then it's good. I honor Christ. I serve Christ. Now, it, it concludes uh, here in the end of the chapter with a final statement to the strong and then a statement to the weak. So I think verses 20 through 22 is to the strong person who has more liberties. Now, he doesn't have more liberties than Jesus actually gave. <laughs> he doesn't have, doesn't have the liberty. Well, I can watch pornographic material on TV because I'm a mature adult. And you're like, if you were a mature adult, you wouldn't say that. Like, this is, neat, this, right, this is not an area of liberty. This is an area of sin. Read the Bible. I can give you verses. <laughs> this is a clear area of sin. This is not, so this is to the strong brother who's strong in actual liberties, not taking sinful liberties. <clears throat> Verse 20, it says, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it's evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. There you go. So in a sense, take those liberties, and when you realize you might be trampling someone else's conscience, you hold it to yourself, you keep it private, you keep it silent, you have that liberty you know, outside of their direct vision or whatever, just to, just to love them. It's a gracious thing you're doing for them. 
You have faith? Good. I'm glad you have faith. Have it yourself before God. But don't use your food to, to wound or your Sabbath or whatever it is. Don't use that to wound or hurt your brother. That's the teaching. Um, and then <clears throat> this, this teaching that um, it's evil for the man who eats with offense, that is not talking about the, the weak brother. right? If, the, if I'm the weak brother and I partake of something and I feel bad, it was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. But the one who eats with offense is different. The one who's, who eats with offense is the strong brother who's enjoying the, the liberty they have and they're hurting a weak brother. And guess what? That was a sin. You may have had liberty, but you sinned because you hurt them. So that's, that's the clarity there. And then at the end there, it says, uh, end of verse 22, it now speaks to the weak brother. It says, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. If you're going to make a mistake in the area of liberty, make, make a mistake in the side of caution. Because you're very happy if you don't condemn yourself in what you approve. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. You don't feel right about it? Don't do it. Easy peasy. Don't violate your conscience. I teach this study not hoping in one iota to change the convictions of anyone. But I do hope to give us clarity to at least say your conviction is in the area of liberty. So don't judge another for that. Just keep it to yourself and follow God in that. At the beginning, I asked about your convictions. I asked about alcohol, tattoos, uh, the Sabbath, uh, eating different kinds of food. And I named a few other ones as well. Here's my encouragement now is don't change those convictions. Follow those convictions. Don't change them. Those are your convictions. Keep them. That's the point. But don't put them on everyone else. Observe with love, those, those issues. So here's the six conclusions. Six conclusions. All right, to wind it all up, and then we'll take any questions you guys have. <clears throat> these issues, these things are not inherently sinful. It's true. Alcohol is not inherently sinful. Food, meat, days, particular days, no particular days actually holy, no particular days actually unholy. That's not the way it is. Rather, um, it may not be completely accurate to say no particular day is actually holy. It may be that every day has a sense of holiness to it in, the, in reality. That might be more accurate. But these things are not inherently sinful. That, that's the thing. That's the first thing to know. It's not inherently sinful. I should not judge people just for the, for the sake of the thing. Number two, conclusion number two. They're still sinful for some people. <laughs> that's conclusion two. For some people, it's genuinely actually sinful. Whether that's you or someone else, that should give you wisdom. Number three is the conscience can make something sinful that's not but it can't make something okay when it's actually sin. So the conscience is, it's like, um, you know, it, it's like your, your pet at home. It can make things dirty, but not clean. That's the idea. Also, the conscience is, because of the nature of the conscience, it's a secondary test of the righteousness of a thing, not the initial test. You never ask first, how do I feel about it? You always ask first, what does scripture say about it? Then, if it's not clear in scripture to you, or if it's in an area of liberty, now you ask, what does my conscience say? Because it only applies to things that are actually okay. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing. Uh, number four, the strong bears with the weak rather than trying to change them. The strong bears with the weak. Are you the more liberty person? What do strong people do? They carry stuff for weak people. That's what they do. What do big people do? They, they, they lift stuff for, for small people. What do tall people do? They reach for things for short people. That's like the strong bears with the weak. And number five, don't violate your conscience. There, way, there, there may well be a very good reason that you feel this way. And plenty of people have fallen into sin because they decided that because it was okay for someone else, maybe it was okay for them too. Don't violate that conscience. I know I have the liberty to drink. 
but I won't because I know in my conscience it doesn't feel right. <laughs> so I'm going to obey that conscience. I'm going to stay true to that while, without judging or, or anything anyone else. <clears throat> because this teaching could be dangerous for you if you take this and, and try to change your conscience according to what you've heard. That's actually not the point. And number six, the main point of the passage is unity. And that's the thrust, right? To edify one another, to build each other up, to hold hands as Christian brothers and sisters and stay unified and connected and not let these issues divide us, but to show us how to love each other in these areas. So that's the main thing. Convictions are not essentials. They're not essentials and they shouldn't divide us uh, in any way, shape, or form. And we should be able to be a church where people can fellowship who this guy's got a, got a tattoo and this other person thinks tattoos are evil. And I'm like, great, you don't get tattoos. You know, and maybe you don't run around going like, look at my new tattoo to everybody because you're like, I don't want to hurt my brother or sister. I love them. I, maybe they're wrong on that issue, but, but I love them. That's the issue. And uh, the same thing for, you know, go down the list of all the conviction issues. So I, I, hope, that, I hope this gives clarity. I love this passage. <clears throat> I feel like sometimes when pastors teach, they feel like, um, and only sometimes, not every pastor, right? But sometimes when pastors teach, they feel like they have to have like certain kind of messages. So like I've got to give a message that like it starts with like a story about fishing trip or something and then it and then it goes on to like you know basically a feel good moment and I'll I'll give you something from history and something from from the Bible and then and then and we pray and everyone's like oh that was a good message but I so much prefer to teach where I'm like nope today class we're discussing it. <laughs> and we just let the Bible like teach whatever it's actually teaching in context and that to me is uh, really exciting and it's super needful because I've seen people divide on these issues and the whole time God's instructions never mind my napkin <laughs> God's instructions were abundantly clear the whole time if I just apply this it's going to unify the church on the areas of convictions so let's pray um, Father we thank you so much for your holy word and for giving us clarity help us to know how to apply it there's maybe areas where some of us are strong and uh, we want to learn how to be strong with a love and a gracious and a, an attitude that submits to the conscience of others out of love. But Lord, some of us may be weak in areas. And um, we pray, Lord, that we can learn to do that hard work of saying, Lord, that's me and you, but I won't judge them and you based upon my convictions. And we ask, Lord, uh, for unity and for love and for edification and fellowship to be the thing. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>